Welcome to NGA Notable Lectures, a podcast offering a deeper understanding of all things artistic. The study of Slovene photography has remained intertwined with the medium's specific relation to pan-Yugoslavian artistic development, generally focusing on the period between 1945 and 1991. In celebration of the National Day of Slovenia, John Hobson expands the current understanding of the development of photography in the Slovene region, breaking from the Yugocentric narrative to present his research on the breadth and complexity of 20th century photography created by Slovenians. In this lecture at the National Gallery of Art on June 3, 2019, Hobson discusses the creation of photographic conventions and traditions, as well as transgressions against them across the 20th century. Welcome, everyone, and thank you, everyone, for coming today. Um, I'm going to try to keep it to about 30 minutes, so let's go ahead and get started. First, a map. This is Slovenia and its uh, current national borders. Here you see Austria to the north, Hungary, Croatia, and Italy. I'm going to name some towns, but don't worry, there's not going to be a test afterwards. I just want you to begin to hear Slovenian and uh, figure out that I'm actually going to be talking about photography from the entire country. So we're going to be talking also about this region, Gorizia, in Italy, and you'll see uh, Trieste here as well. Um, we have Ljubljana in the center, which is the capital. Um, we're also going to be talking about Bled, which is this region up here in Kran. Oops. And then here we have Maribor, Petui, and Morska Sobota in the east. My research on Slovenian photography has encompassed time spent in archives, in exhibitions across Slovenia, and in conversations with curators and collectors that I have been lucky enough to meet. Slovenian's pho photographic history is rich, but has rarely been seen in the US. Slovenian photography is largely absent in US collections. Slovene photographers rarely photographs rarely travel to the US in exhibitions, and the brunt of scholarship on Slovene photography is published in Slovenian or other Balkan languages. This makes it inaccessible to those interested and really hard to get images for my presentation today, by the way. Even more problematic, Slovenian photographic history is intertwined with the history of language in the region. In my archival research, I have come across primary documents in Slovene, Serbian, which is a different alphabet, Croatian, as well as German, Italian, and French. I don't read and speak all of these languages, but I'm familiar. This alone is a barrier for many scholars, and this is why research on the topic takes teams of people and years to complete. On June 25th, we will celebrate the National Day of Slovenia, which marks its independence from Yugoslavia in 1991. And so when I began thinking about this lecture, I wanted to impart a complete narrative of Slovenian history of photography as it developed in the context of Slovenia's changing nationhood and governance. At the end of the 19th century, parts of the Slovene territory were in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, others in Italy. Then in the 20th century, it went through the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes, then the old and new Yugoslavias, and finally the Republic of Slovenia in 1991. Of course, I realized very quickly that that is impossible to do in 30 minutes. 
So instead, I will be sharing my research on Slovenian photography as a short survey in two sections, focusing primarily on the period between the two world wars. First, I will share a narrative of how Slovenes captured in many ways a sense of what it means to be Slovene. And second, I will share how photographers experimented with different technical practices and political ideologies. Capturing and creating Slovene identity. No talk of early 20th century Slovene photography would be complete without discussing Fran Vaseo and the legacies he set up for the development of Slovene photographic practices. Born in Ljubljana in 1884, Vaseo became a cultural icon early in the 20th century by creating a vast and comprehensive body of photographs that documented the particularities of the Slovene region. On the left, we see Vaseo's photograph of the newly unveiled Presharan monument in the central square of Ljubljana, which was at the time considered to be the ethnic capital of Slovene territory. I'm showing you a different view of the event on the right by Ivan Kotar, just so you can get a sense of uh, the scale. And um, I just like the photograph for fun. <laughs> France Prasheran was probably Slovenia's greatest enduring cultural icon. A poet who worked in the first half of the 19th century, he wrote the first Slovene ballad and the first Slovene epic poem. His legacy is immense. In 1905, the statue was erected in his honor in the center of the Slovene territory. Still today, one of the few European capitals to mark their center with an artist rather than a military figure. In 1945, the anniversary of his death was declared a national holiday, and the prestigious Prasheran Award was founded, still today the highest decoration given for Slovenian artistic creation. In 1989, his poem Zdravljica was taken as the national anthem. It is important that Vaseu marked this occasion with a photograph. As we will see in the following slides, photography was as important for retaining and creating a sense of national identity as Prasheran was and is to the people of Slovenia. Vaseu's practice developed at the turn of the century, a time when Slovenian-ness was at the forefront of the political and social discourse of the region. During his career, Slovenia would be rescued from the Austro-Hungarian Empire after the First World War, but then communalized with other culturally and ethnically distinct Southern Slavic nations under the Kingdom of Yugoslavia. And so Fran Vaseo used photography to create a visual record. In 1911, he founded and presided over the Club of Amateur Slovene Photographers, whose mission it was to form a register of the Slovene lands. In practice, this meant that he advocated for a documentary style photography. This is a photograph from 1913, a view of Tolstivar, a collection of hills in the central northeastern winemaking region of Slovenia. It seems that only in 1913, excuse me, he was interested in writing directly on the photograph, naming each visible structure, as well as features of the landscape. Here you see the names um, and types of buildings that are dotted throughout the landscape. And this, of course, is the name of the hill. I'm unaware of him continuing this after 1913, but I think it illustrates his practice very nicely. Not only is he documenting the locale and structures, 
He is documenting the personal and genealogical histories of the locations and its structures. These descriptions tell who the wine cellars belonged to and where they're from. For example, in the first description here in front, um, we learned that this is a wine cellar from the Mushik family um, from Ziche. And for example, there's another type, um, the Tepetz family here. It's a barn uh, in which the barn is named after the Tepetz family, but owned by um, the Japanaks from Krabernka. Uh, Kraberg, excuse me. Vaseo also documented people and their effects. Here we see two examples of named women in ethnic costume. The first from 1913 is Miss ZD in Bled, which is in the northwestern region of Slovenia. The second from 1927 is Mitzi Jagodic in Loke Primengšu, which is in the center of Slovenia near Ljubljana. The costumes themselves are from various eras in the 19th century when this type of dress was worn more frequently. However, still today, the tradition of regional costume is maintained, and I'll show you uh, one other later example. These women most likely owned these garments, having made or had them made or collected the pieces separately. As a note, I've only seen single figure portraits of women in uh, regional costume, although I know men's dress is just as specific. So I would like to investigate that question a little bit further about why women only appear in this catalog. Other photographers then took up Vaseo's practices and beliefs, ultimately expanding them into the broader popular artist artistic styles of the time. Peter Kocjancic, born in 1895 in Gorizia, which was then and now in Eastern Italy. However, the town gets its name from the Slovene word for little hill, Gorica. Uh, it was and is still a bilingual bicultural area. In essence, Kozjancic followed the same programmatic approach to subject matter as Vaseo. He believed that, the Slovene, that Slovene photography was, quote, a striving to preserve our own individuality, end quote. However, unlike Vaseo, he imbued his photographs with a sense of emotion, dynamism, and atmospheric indulgence, borrowing his aesthetic program from Romanticism and Impressionism. I'm actually going to only show one example from Kocjancic's, but I find it so fascinating that I don't have time to do others. On the left, I'm giving you his A Little Waltz for Two from around 1937 or 1938, which I have yet to see in person. On the right is a photograph that I just saw about two weeks ago in Ljubljana. Um, his little waltz from about the same time, and I believe they're probably from the same photo shoot. The photograph on the right is a, um, you can sort of see here these three reflected paintings in the glazing of the photograph in my head, so try to ignore that as much as possible. If you can't ignore it, you'll notice that um, the young girl wears a simple button bodice dress short sleeves, letting her hair uh, remain open. The boy sits next to her wearing from what I can make out is modern dress, a polo type short sleeve shirt with slacks and no hat. The photo on the left is however quite different. And this is because it is a montage, a photographic process that allows you to layer different images into one final picture. 
Here, the young girl wears a closed dress, a long-sleeved undershirt, scarf, belt, and headdress. Similarly, the boy wears a long, billowing shirt, vest, hat, and boots. The photograph on the left has been published numerous times, both during Kochancic's lifetime and after. It is by far the more enduring image of the two. Though not a photograph in the empirical sense of documentation, what it does is create a sense of identity. The theme of historical costume that we saw in Vaseo's photographs earlier returns here, but the focus is instead on the dance, the music, the emotion of the scene, and the relationship between the two figures. Of course, this is an idyllic representation of Slovenian Alpine culture, but an important point in the trajectory of Slovenianness. It is important given the date of the photograph, 1937-1938, as people were acutely aware of the rise of the Reich in Germany and the fascists in Italy, especially poignant for the photographer who was born in the Italian region. During this period, this montage served as a visual stronghold of a specific and elevated culture. Moving on to Fran Krasovets, born in 1892 in Ljubljana. He was a member of Vaseo's Club of Slovene Amateur Photographers, so he knew Vaseo's practices well. Krasovets left us with this, quote, anyone who devotes himself to higher goals in photography will study painting, end quote. These actually are not his own words, but an underlined fragment from his copy of Eugene Gutmann's 1918, The Preparation of Bromoir Colors. A studious photographer, Krasovets's note allows us to understand his photographic approach as synonymous with painting, which is not solely for documentary purpose, but it's, quote, capital A, art. In this sense, his photographs do not document life in the way Vaseo or even Kojancic had, but gives us a sense of what daily life was like. Here also we see a more concerted effort to represent city life. This is winter from a cycle he did on the Four Seasons. Just as a note, um, I believe this photograph was taken um, early in the 1930s. However, it has been published with numerous dates. So I'm just giving you the dates of the cycle here, 1930 to 1950. We see a man with his back turned to us, presumably walking along in the direction of the other figures. Unlike the Waltz photograph, this scene is fairly quiet. The blurriness of the focus produces light, fluffy snowflakes falling gently and resting on his umbrella. Despite a serene mood and unidentifiable figures, we are aware of exactly where we are. Prominently displayed, taking up the entire half portion of the image, is the culturally iconic monument of Prescheren in Ljubljana, which we saw earlier. So I'm talking about this half of the photograph. The monument is easily seen, being tonally contrasted to the black of the figure and his umbrella. Because of the play of blackness of the figure and the whiteness of the snow on the monument, it appears as if the light of the image shines most brightly on Prescheren. In this way, and I think this would be noticeable to a Slovene audience, the image is imbued with a specific place and a specific cultural icon that brings with him a history of Slovenianness. It is interesting that here the photograph shows the monument facing away. Prescheren is present, but not imposing. He has worked his way into the daily lives of Slovenians, a steadfast reminder of where and who they are.
I'm not going to spend too much time on this photograph, so I'm gonna throw some things at you. Um, this is Ljubljana in autumn from 1930. We see many of the same themes that Kroshevets is working with in the previous photo. We have a specific time and a specific place. The identifying elements of the street are obscured, however. The figures remain unidentifiable. We have again a monument in the background. Um, it's unclear exactly what this monument is, but based on what I found, and I'm, let's say, 100% sure, it's the Roba Fountain in Ljubljana. If you walk down this street here, you will be at the um, Prosheran Monument. Um, this monument is an 18th century fountain built to memorialize the three Carnolian rivers. Carnolia is the region inside of Slovenia, and it has a long Roman, Italian, and Slovene history. So we see him working with the similar themes here. Carlo Kotiancic is the last photographer that I will be speaking about in our discovery of Slovenianness. He was born in Gradisce in southwestern Slovenia in 1901. In 1935, he famously wrote a survey, a survey text entitled Slovene Photography. In the introduction, he wrote, quote, this is where Slovenian photography, which for a few years uncritically wavered between the past and the present, is building its new national content. The general mood is manifestly Slovenian lyrical. The lyricism is sooner cheerful, firm, or even dark, as we see in his self-portrait, than sentimentally soft, which is not the core of the Slovenian spirit." End quote. In his attention to Slovenianness, we hear an echo of Vaseo's attention to national identity. Though color appeared much earlier, of course, we begin to see color photographs of national costume appear more frequently in the 1930s. We have a specific place. We are located in Maribor in the northeastern part of Slovenia. The imagery draws our attention to the dress by giving us the bright colors and close-up detail of the costume. However, the details show the back of the costume, where the intricate embroidery and local designs are hidden. The narrative then is focused more on the relationship between the figures. Though their backs are turned, erasing the possibility of identification, we see men and women together, interacting, embracing as they are piled closely together on this bench. In other photographs from this uh, shoot, you see that the men and women are part of a very lively festival, dancing, eating, and celebrating. However, here, they are not in action. Unlike Kochancic's photo, these figures are physically quiet, a much more subtle rendering of culture. Furthermore, the national costume seems to play a similar role as in the Prosheran monument in the Kroshevitz photo. As Slovene identity itself, the national costume is always present here in the Maribor photo. Um, the costume and dress are, of course, outward signs of one's identity. But here, it is the gently placed arm around a friend or family member that is the outward sign of identity, leaving the relationship between the community at the core of this narrative. On that, I would like to move on and now discuss the avant-garde technical and political experimentations. Slovenian photographers were, of course, not working only in the mode that I was showing previously. 
In fact, during the period of the 1920s and 1930s, there was a huge debate in Slovenia concerning the effects of an international position in the arts. The mir uh, this mirrored the political conversations of the time. How would Slovenia fit into the larger kingdom of Yugoslavia? And indeed, how would the kingdom itself be in relation to other Slavic nations like the Soviet Union or the rest of Central Europe? There were artists as there were politicians who advocated for both sides, national or international. In any case, in the 1920s and 1930s, we see, alongside the photographs that we've been talking about, a flourishing of the avant-garde. The avant-garde is a term in its most basic form to describe artists who base their practices on the unusual or the experimental, often going against cultural norms or artistic traditions. If you're interested in who have ever studied the avant-garde, you might also associate it with radical political movements, activism, or aggressive art. You may be familiar with the German uh, avant-garde, here is uh, John Hartfield on the left, or the Russian avant-garde, El Lizitsky on the right. Unlike Germany or Russia, however, in the 1920s, the avant-garde in the Slovene territory did not reach a critical political agitation like it had in these two countries until much later. This on the right is the cover of Leibach's debut album from 1985. Leibach, the German word for Ljubljana, is one component of the much larger Neue Slovenische Kunst Artist Collective, whose mission includes a strong political stance with highly politicized and controversial imagery. Here you can see Leibach directly quoting part of John Hartfeld's 1934 warning against the Reich. So this figure here has been taken directly from Hartfeld's montage. Um, in an effort to express their understanding of the state of Yugoslavia in the 1980s. In any case, the Slovene iteration of the avant-garde during the 20s and 30s is highly involved in the question of technical experimentation as well as international politicized art. Oddly enough, I've noticed through my research that during the first half of the 20th century, by and large, Slovene photographers go in and out of styles, not sticking to any one artistic doctrine or aesthetic program. Though that does, of course, exist elsewhere in the arts, in the Slovene territory, this might be a result of the great influx of styles coming from abroad or the rapid development of photographic technology and modern society in general, coupled with the fact that there simply was not a large number of Slovenians. The Slovene territory had and still has a small population. In 1930, there were just 1.3 million Slovenes living primarily in Ljubljana and Trieste. Thus, their desire to express themselves fully in photographs meant that the small number of Slovene photographers adopted multifaceted and compounded photographic practices out of necessity. Another interpretation of this issue might state that the Slovene nature itself is not bound to any one program, but instead is exploratory and multifaceted by instinct. In any case, it can be seen that in regard to experimentation, the avant-garde practice and avant-garde practices, many of these same photographers appear as leaders. We have already seen that montage exists, for example, in the Kochanschitz photo. However, there is a large body of work that exists outside of the narrative of identity. These two images are montage. On the left, we see a sitting portrait of a young boy. 
overlaid with what I believe is one image of a young girl playing with three balloons on a string. So the boy is here, the girl reaches up, and then you have three balloons around the head. On the right, we see a dramatic picture of a young girl whose face has been brightly lit, overlaid with an abstract photograph, most likely made by using a long exposure of a moving light. There is also an image of a leaf in the lower left corner, and you can barely see it in this reproduction. I've not seen these two photographs in person, and they have only been published once, as far as I know, in a small exhibition catalog from 1968, where no dates or locations are given. Though it is likely that these photographs belonged to the artist at that time. What I know about Peter Kocjancic's practice also indicates that these are his grandchildren. I would love to find out more about these photographs, as children seem to be a large part of his practice. Montaging images of plants, usually flowers and leaves, and balloons also seem to be themes he often used, almost like a set of symbols or iconographies. It's also interesting that the two base images are studio portraits, this uh, boy here and the girl here, uh, made with a sense of purpose. The two overlaying images are more playful and spontaneous. See the girl playing with the balloons and the light, the abstract light dancing across the photograph. Carlo Kotjancic experimented with, the mon with montage as well. Here we see the montage on the left, which I just saw a few weeks ago in Ljubljana, and the base photograph on the right, which I have not seen in person. The montage is currently displayed in the Museum of Modern Art in Ljubljana among surrealist photography. And indeed, we can read it with that movement. Here is a comparison with Man Ray, an American surrealist photographer who worked in Paris. He also used montage, though not in this photograph, I think. Man Ray's surrealism is much more erotic, showing the lines of the woman, showing the shadow lines on the woman's body, which evoke the sense of touch as much as the state of dreaming. In the Kochjancic photo, instead of the intangible shadow covering the figure, we have a spider web, which is an object of nature. Rather than evoking a dreamlike state, we see more of a character being played by the woman whose face is visible and whose eyes stare back at the camera. The mask and web seem to assign qualities to her. I would like to find out more about Kojancic's experience with international surrealism, because my own reading of this photograph places it more parallel with other naturalistic photographic movements. However, I would like to say that he seems to be much more interested in masks which do produce a very surrealistic atmosphere, especially in this photograph, which is um, of his son, Drago. I'll briefly talk about another very important movement in Slovenia <clears throat> and in Europe and America as well, which is in this, uh, called New Objectivity. In its most basic form, it promoted the idea of, quote, making strange. Primarily a realistic aesthetic, photographers would make images in which their subjects were unrecognizable to induce a sense of doubt about what you're looking at. This is essentially a political statement to turn realism and the world around us on its head so that it becomes hard to identify what we are seeing. Here are three examples. Uh, this Crossrovets here and this Kozianchitz here, two photographers we've already seen. Um, and in the center, probably the most significant Slovenian um, photographer in this movement, Janko Skrlep. 
Here are two other examples from Janko Skrlep. In my research, I've noticed that in Slovenia, the movement translated quite interestingly into the popular press. So here um, we have mistletoe from 1930 and uh, also from 1930, ice running on water. And then here you'll see that um, this is from Illustratia, a illustrated journal published in Ljubljana. Um, you'll see this photograph was published here and this photograph was published here in this corner in a different orientation. Um, I also like to note that they are published with his name as well, which I think is significant. Um, so they are part on this page of a game. Kaividi camera slovenskega fotografa. What does the Slovenian photographer's camera see? There are descriptions, questions, and little jests that give clues. And if you flip to the previous page of this journal, written upside down are the answers to what the images are. Mistletoe, ice over running water. I would love to go into more detail about this. Um, however, I'm going to close my talk about the avant-garde with my personal favorite topic, which is the artist um, August Chernogoy and his circle. These are three photographs from the uh, Souls series by Chernogoy and Manlio Malabota, and they fit, I think, kind of with the new objectivity movement as they are, quote, making strange of the figural photograph. The focus of the photograph is on the unexpected detail of the sole of the boot, a part of the body and costume that is rarely seen, if ever. The fact that these are figural lets us understand the expression of the face or the posture of the body. In this sense, these pictures have a sense of fun or play within them, as we saw in the Illustratia game. This is a photograph of Chernogoy and his wife, Thea, who also had an artistic practice, which there is, I believe, nothing written about. And it's called, playfully, Game with a Mirror. I will note quickly, because I found this while going through the issues of Illustratia, that this type of image that we see here also makes its way somehow into the popular press. Um, here we have an ad from 1929, issue of Illustratia, for spring, a small black hat with a colorful silk scarf. There is a long history of uh, photography with mirrors, of course, but in this comparison, we see that the art photograph is playful and the popular photograph is quite somber. Photography in Chernogoy's circle, however, is the body of work that I know the least about. There is next to nothing published about it. There has been, however, extensive work on Chernogoy himself as he was the leading, if only Slovenian figure, to fully adopt the radically political international avant-garde style. The primary focus has been in the scholarship on his constructions, which we see an example of here, his prints and his publications. So this is um, his construction from 1924 L, which is a portrait of L. Lizitsky, um, an influential Russian avant-gardist. This is a linocut portrait of Shrechko Kosovel, who is uh, an iconic, maybe the most famous after Prasherin Slovenian constructivist poet. He was a student of Chernogoy's um, and learned the avant-garde from him. And then lastly, I'm showing you the cover of Tonk, issue one and a half, uh, which is Chernogoy and Ferdinand Delac's Slovenian avant-garde publication, where many of Chernogoy's writings appear. 
In essence, these represent his main bodies of work. However, when I first began my study of him, I saw immediately that photography was constantly present in and around his practice, as we've seen. But I have yet to find any evidence of him ever taking a photograph himself or writing about photography directly. I still have much archival work to do on this topic, so I will tell you what I know and what I think, and then maybe in two or three years I can do another talk just on this topic. Um, August Chernogoy was born in 18... I'll give you some of his work to look at. He was born in 1898 in Trieste. From 1920 until 1922, he studied at the Academy of Bologna in Italy, where he encountered Italian futurism. Uh, he may have seen works like this. He then went to the Academy of Fine Arts in Munich, where he became interested in the German and Russian avant-garde, such as Kandinsky here. And here is a painting from uh, that period. And finally, ending his education at the Bauhaus in the summer of 1924, where he was the only Slovenian to attend. Here are two works um, from that year by Laszlo Moholy-Nagy, Chernogoy's preferred teacher at the Bauhaus. After leaving the Bauhaus in 1924, Chernogoy worked primarily in Ljubljana for a few years, then in Trieste, where he made works like this. Here we are looking at a photograph of Chernogoy's first constructivist exhibition um, from 1924 in Ljubljana. Here you see L, the con construction we looked at earlier. This, of course, is the original. Um, it was destroyed like much of the work from the exhibition after the exhibition closed, and so now there are reproductions made. Um, and this I just saw in Ljubljana. This is a recreation of the Trieste constructivist cabinet um, where you can see very similar work. Um, going on here. Um, he also created works like these. These are collage. This is his portrait of Ferdinand Delac, with whom he published Tonk. Um, and this is Kinorama from 1926, a collage, um, photo collage as well, with drawing. Oh, and then I wanted to show this. Uh, this is another collage that I just saw in Ljubljana, a, a possible portrait of Giorgio Karmelik who was an Italian futurist painter, and it is quite small. Here's a, a picture of my hand for scale, um, and just notice how uh, if the collage itself is this small, how small the figures might be, and these photographs back here that he was working with, quite a detailed practice. In 1925, Chernogoy wrote a manifesto published in Bladina, a popular left-wing Slovenian news magazine. It states his struggle against everything past in art, I have, yeah, let's just look at this. Uh, his struggle against capitalism and against the elitist concept of art. He advocates then for a new art that will instigate revolution in society. All of these sentiments he brings into Slovenia from his studies abroad. In terms of artistic media, he states that art should be the, quote, total striving of time and space in any unit, either architecture, painting, sculpture, poetry, music, or dance, end quote, no photography. However, as I mentioned, photography seems to play a large role in his practice. He worked in collage primarily using, um, sorry, I'll do this one again, photographic elements, either from photographic prints themselves or published photographs from magazines and journals. What I'm investigating currently is his thoughts and conceptual understanding of photography with his, within his own practice.
What did he think about photography, and why does it appear in this way so frequently in his career? In 1924, he exhibited his avant-garde material in Ljubljana. It wasn't mentioned in the press until the following year, 1925, when the author of the mention suggests that committed figural art is more appropriate for a revolution because of its great influence on the masses. It is interesting that Chernogoy uses exclusively figural photography, a medium and style with great appeal and communicability. Figural or naturalistic photography, I should say. He clearly took this criticism to heart. The following year, 1926, he wrote that in fact theater is, quote, closest to the masses. Here we are looking at his theatrical designs in which he uses figural photography. On the right is one of the artists in his circle, Edward Stepanchich, um, who's also doing the same thing. This is a sketch for uh, Tony Chufar's Tovarna, which is a factory um, satiric, um, a political statement on uh, the life in and around factories. And then here's another one that I just saw in Ljubljana by Edward Stepanchitz, um, set design for black masks. I have much work to do on this material, but I don't believe that any of Chernogoy's photographic theatrical pieces ever made it on stage. Other set designs that were made were not based on collages. However, here is a reproduction of one of his photographic set designs from an exhibition of his work in 2016. So here, here is a suit and a dress made after uh, designs that he produced. And back here is the set piece that I'm speaking of. And you can see this sort of photographic element uh, put in. And then I'll show you another photograph where you can see these. Um, you can see here that, in fact, the figures, these three women, bring a sense of realism to the abstract work. The, the three women are more or less complete or undistorted. The abstract forms around them serve almost as architecture from which these women peek out. Uh, here is a maquette of that. The second and third figures here in the middle and on the end, however, are much more torn apart and they resemble as in the data, uh, data collages that we might be familiar with. As I said, I have a lot more thinking and archival research to do on this particular topic. This has been a National Gallery of Art podcast.